You're listening to Brave Not Perfect with Reshma Sajani, presented by Anchor and Girls Who Code. Hey, it's Reshma. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect, the podcast where I talk with changemakers who all have one thing in common. At some point in their lives, they've decided to jump in and just make things better now. Instead of waiting until they have all the skills and knowledge, they decided that it was better to be brave, not perfect. Dipti Sharma is the founder of an awesome company that connects local restaurant and food trucks with corporate clients. Dipti came up with this idea when she was standing outside of a halal food truck searching for a peanut butter cookie. Many of her clients, they are recent immigrants, and they've thought about scaling a business but just didn't know how. I asked Dipti to tell us about who she is and what inspired this idea. I run a company called Food to Eat. We're a corporate catering concierge service where we partner with about 150 local food vendors that are either immigrant, women, minority run, um, and essentially help them score catering gigs at large corporations. Yeah. The idea is we're trying to get corporates to be more um, understanding of what food they're bringing in, so bringing more diversity and inclusion within their food programs, um, and doing that by helping um, small business owners with their bottom line, right? What better way than just securing more business for them? So how does it work? So like you have these amazing immigrant women and and people who prepare this delicious food, and then you have these corporations on the other side. Like how do you bring them together? Um, Sell, (laughs) right? So simply selling to them. I mean, we're honestly talking a lot to diversity and inclusion programs at these large corporations. And, um, you know, the reason why we go straight to them is because they've already understood why it's so important to have more diversity in the workplace, whether it's um, employees, whether it's different kinds of programs, um, and what better way than food. Um, You know, our clients are like Microsoft, eBay, companies that are already progressive and understanding of what they need to do to be a part of the future. And so we explain to them, hey, we have these amazing people not only do they make great food but they have amazing stories of how they got into it yeah um you know there's stories of immigrants that have come from what's your favorite story like what moves you um i have a, I have a lot but um i guess one of mine is uh there's a mother-daughter business called mama gyro uh-huh. they the what mother yeah i know it's a beautiful name <laughs> especially because it's got mama in it um mama gyro was started by originally um the mother who has a cooking background. Um, her recipes came from um, her mother, who you know she grew up with in Greece. Yeah, brought them over here, and she thought, you know, I, I, I think she worked in like the catering world for a really long time, but she wanted to start something of her own. So she did. Her daughter, born and brought up in the U.S., you know, first generation immigrant, um, and. She did all her schooling here and then decided to go into PR and advertising Uh and had worked there for a few years and then saw that her mother had started this business and she could add more value to it um, and decided to quit her job, quit everything that she was set on her path to do and decided to just run the business with her mother. So it's the mother and daughter and the father is involved. Um, They always just say, you know, he's just a part of the business and it's the women (laughs) that the women that run run everything. It always is. Right. Right. Um, But it's just a sweet story of like, you know. Of, of someone who wanted to come here, bring a part of their home country. You know, I was on a panel recently where it was with a bunch of immigrant food business owners, and one of them said something really interesting, which was, the U.S. has become our new home, and we're just trying to bring a part of our old home and our memories here um, and to share it with our own community of immigrants that have come from the same place, but also to share it with a new community of 
you yeah. know, different people that we're meeting from different backgrounds, and we're all immigrants. We're all going through something that's very similar, um, all feeling a little displaced sometimes. Right. And, and we and, find commonality through food and what's yeah. true. It's true. When I'm missing, like, you know, when I'm, like, missing India, I'll, like, go get, you know what I mean? I'll eat Indian food. Yeah, or absolutely. Or this is a Bollywood music. Yeah, exactly. You do something to, like, kind of recognize that. And so one of the things that we, you know, want to do in the corporate culture is to bring that sense of community through food. Get people to come together, talk about these different backgrounds. Um, you know, like, we've been introducing Nigerian food to people that don't necessarily eat Nigerian food on a regular basis. So it's it's interesting to have that educational piece as well um, and introducing a, a group of people that have never had a certain kind of cuisine, even even after having lived in New York, which yeah. is crazy. But it's, I, I feel like when I first moved to New York, I was definitely on this mission to like taste and experiment all these foods. But for a lot of people, like you spend a lot of time at work, right? Yeah. And so what better place to get exposure? So why out of, I want to hear a little bit about your entrepreneur journey why this issue? I'm a native New Yorker, born and brought up in Queens. Community has always been a big part of whatever I do. And, and, and what I mean by that is involving myself in, in a community, right? So while I was in college, I did that through politics. I worked on a number of campaigns. And, you know, the hope was get someone elected into office that is going to make a huge impact on my community. While I was, you know, thinking that the, my political career was going to be the thing that I was going to continue, I found myself uh, standing online at a food truck, and I started talking to a bunch of food truck and cart owners. And what was interesting was the people that were running and owning these food trucks were, it was the immigrants that were coming in, right? They were South Asians, they were you know Bengali, Pakistani, and people that looked like me. And I saw that they didn't see themselves as business owners and needed a little bit of help of just growing and scaling their businesses. And I thought, well, why not try to create something that can help them with their bottom line? Why not try to help them understand that they can market their business better in certain ways by using technology, right? It's something so simple, like everyone at the time was using Twitter or Facebook to market their business. And a lot of these food carts and trucks weren't even naming themselves, right? They were, they're all just halal cart. Right. Um, so for <laughs> me, I went from working in politics and, and working on, you know, growing a community at large to then looking at this food community that I was just randomly exploring because I ended up waiting on a food truck line and waited way too long. What, what, was it, what do you think the connection though was, right, between your love for politics and then these halal food trucks? I think it was just recognizing a need for what people are looking for, right? So when you're working in politics, you're constantly looking at policies um, that affect the people around you and helping them navigate through those policies, right? And and so the food community, you know, I, I looked at them and when I started seeing that a lot of them were immigrants, a lot of them were people that look like me, they look like my parents when they first came to this country and didn't have a lot of resources, I thought, well, how can I be a part of this? How can I be a part of helping them grow their, you know, their businesses to a point so that they can actually provide more for their families. So my connection was more so just looking at the needs that they had and how yeah. can I connect, you know, what I did in, in working at these campaigns. And, and it's interesting because working on a campaign is like starting your own company, right? I say that all the time. Yep. Um, it's essentially, you know, the, the candidate is the product or service. The campaign manager is the CEO. Yeah. Um, you have to do press. You have to look at all these other things. Of how do you promote the candidate? How do you promote the product or service? Um, so to me, it wasn't like this huge change. It was just doing what I loved in, you know, doing it in a different community in a, a different way. Yeah. So what have you learned? How many years ago was that when you first were standing outside the halal truck? Well, 2008, when I was first starting out, uh, standing outside of that halal cart, and then 2011 when I actually started the company. Uh -huh. But what have I learned? I've learned that 
you go in as an, and this is more of an entrepreneurial thing. You go in thinking that you're going to build a certain kind of business and you come out building a completely different type yeah. of business. Right. Um, and we did that, right? We started off as an online ordering platform for food trucks and carts, and we pivoted into this B2B model. Because at the end of the day, the the most important thing was, how do I drive value to this group of food vendors of New York City? We don't even work with as many food trucks and carts as we used to. We work more primarily with restaurants and caterers now. Right. I think you just learned that as long as your mission is most important to you and you know the the reasoning behind what you want to do is just keep at it keep going but be smart about it yeah <laughs> because not all ideas are great what did your parents think when you said you were starting a business oh they were absolutely happy my parents have been entrepreneurs their entire lives yeah uh, they owned a travel agency for about 15 years yep. and now they own a restaurant in midtown manhattan for 17 years now yeah. wow yeah so it was like very food restaurant it's like very in line right yeah Pretty much. You wrote an article about flexible work policies for women, Mm -hmm. parents. Tell me what inspired that. Like, because you're very passionate about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a a new mom. I'm a mother to a two-year-old now. The terrible twos are real. I'm in it. Well, I'm in terrible three. Yeah. I think they just continue till the end of time. But um, it'll be terrible 22s, too. (laughs) Um, And now almost a mother to a second child. And I think one of the most important things was being an entrepreneur um, and having the schedule that I do, I have a luxury to create my own schedule. And the conversations that I was having with a lot of my friends was that they weren't actually getting real policies that were friendly. They weren't able to take time off. They weren't able to get their partners to take time off. And so it was just interesting. My husband, who worked in finance when we had our first child, he had asked his HR, like, hey, what's the policy that exists for parents? And they said, oh, for primary caregivers, it's eight weeks. And he went back. He's like, well, I'm the primary caregiver. And they were like, wait, what? No, you can't be. It's for mothers. And it's just this conditioning, right? And it was a woman that said this to him. And she's like, oh, sorry, you know what? I'm going to get back to you. And she got back to him and said, oh, sorry, actually, you can take the the eight weeks. And it's just that interesting thing, right? He actually cared enough to think about what primary caretaker means. Yet I have friends whose husbands' companies have the similar policy, but they just assume primary caretaker means the woman still. So these are men that are, you know, uh, self-proclaimed feminists that really care about equality and really, you know, they go to the protests and they really rally for their wives. But what they don't think about is these policies are slowly changing. Companies actually are starting to care but it's not it's not just on the companies to create these policies it's actually following them through companies can sit down with the male counterparts and say actually you can take eight weeks if you want to yeah um you can be there with your wife when she's given birth and like be a part of the parenting process i always say it takes two to make the child so it takes two to if you're in the luxury of having a partner that is able and capable to be there it takes two to absolutely to help them raise the children like i mean i i love seeing your social media accounts where it's not just you with your child all the time it's like Nahal on a flight by himself oh no i try to get Nahal to do 60 percent. that's like my goal in life yeah (laughs) it's my goal too i'm like i'm just gonna be like like on the back burner, you yeah. do everything. I'm fine it's with hard, that. Right? It's I mean, you, there's no. I mean, it's very hard to do it without support. You know, one of the things you talk about too is presence and about having you know having workplaces which allow you to bring your children there. I mean, it's so funny. I mean, not too long ago, like before Facebook, you know, I remember when I worked in a law firm. You know, senior female partners would not even have pictures of their children up on their desks. Oh, absolutely. Right. You had to almost hide the fact that you were a mom. And then Facebook happened and you really couldn't, you know, you couldn't hide your family anymore, right? Yeah. 
But this idea of creating workplaces where you actually bring your children in, I mean, you often come, I mean, my, my team knows this, that Sean's sitting right next to me, you know, unfortunately watching Super Wings or something while I'm like, <laughs> you know, working. But like, that's the model, right? Yeah, how, it is. How do we create spaces where we actually uh, support that? Yeah, absolutely. And encourage I mean, it. We work in a co-working space, and I bring my son all the time, and I still get looks but oh, from people course. because there have literally been times where he runs to a conference room that's all glass and starts trying to lick the window. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and it's funny. People will be like, "Are you? Aren't you embarrassed?" I'm like, "No, I'm not embarrassed of my two-year-old who's just acting like a two-year-old." Right. At the end of the day, he's seeing his mother working. He's seeing his yeah. mother traveling and you know on panels and speaking about empowering other women and I think that's more important that he'll understand that the woman's place in the world is not just at home cooking and if if that's what the woman wants that's totally cool but the woman's place in the world is also on in the boardroom is also speaking on panels and talking and using her voice to make and drive change I think being a mother of a son and and, and now having another one, (laughs) it's, it's something I think about all the time, like this inclusivity of making sure that I concentrate on what I like to call inclusive parenting, making sure that he's a part of what I'm doing yeah, and normalizing it for other people, right? Yeah. So not feeling ashamed if my kid is running around, I'll say sorry because, you know, I, f- I feel bad that he interrupted someone's meeting. But at the end of the day, that this is a norm that's happening, that women are changing and modernizing the way motherhood looks. And we're, we're changing the status quo. We're okay with with our kid running around a little bit yeah, during a I'm meeting. I'm not trying to hide them. Like, yeah. I, why should I, right? Right. So what is your, you know, we always we always like to ask our guests, like, what's your brave, not perfect moment? You know, wh- when's the moment where, like, bravery just crashed through? I think it was one of the first times where I was traveling alone with my son. You know, I feel like as women, we always need everything to be perfect, right? Like, your TED Talk, you always say that we're, we're teaching our kids and, and girls to just everything needs to look aligned. Everything needs to look perfect. Um... And I was petrified. He was six and a half months, I think, at that time. I was traveling to Austin to South by Southwest to speak on a panel. And my husband was already there because he had events prior to that. And I was petrified. He's like, don't worry, you can do this. You got this. And (laughs) it was just, you know, it's such a simple thing. But I just got my shit together. I like had my backpack. I had like packaged all the toys. I had my milk in and and my breast ready to breastfeed. And it wasn't perfect because he was running around like a psycho. He was taking my glasses off. And I was like trying to put contacts in so I could like not have to deal with my glasses. And what was amazing was that I trusted that the world around me would somewhat help and there was a flight attendant and he just came up to me he's like what can I do and I think that was like brave of me to just like take that step and not be afraid as a first-time mother to I was like sweating constantly just like the worst but we made it work um this flight attendant was awesome and he recognized that I was by myself he helped me just like through that period and the couple sitting next to me was remarried and seven children together um were telling me their stories so it turned out to be okay right so I went in being freaked out not trying to order the right diaper bag I actually didn't have a diaper bag I (laughs) I bought like a fancy to me bag that I turned into a diaper bag um but with that being said like everything just worked out right and it was that bravery of just thinking about my mom telling me stories about when she traveled with two kids to India which is not 
a short flight. And I was like, she could do that. I can fly to Austin, which is like four hours, barely. Yeah, these are the little things, right? The yeah. little things about, like, I successfully got on a plane with my child and, like, yeah. you know, it was messy, but, like, I actually got to Austin. Like, Yeah. And yeah. then I did it a bunch of times after. We flew yeah. to Paris. We flew to Israel and we, we made, we made a lot of things work and and it was just one step at a time. And, you know, you don't have to think about all these big moments and big achievements. It's just these little things that make a huge difference. And I'm sure you've been there too, where you were like, crap, do I really have to do this by myself? I think all of us remember the first time we took our kid on a plane and how scared we were. And I was sweating too profusely. I was like calling my mom. I was like, what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) It's so amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you, Thipti. Thank you. It's so funny how every woman who has a child is terrified of that first plane flight. And it is really these little acts of bravery uh, that lead us to that big moment. And I think it was powerful to have that conversation with Dipti. Let us know what you think. Email us or send us a voice memo on the Anchor app. And remember, when it comes to your dreams, the things you really want to do in life or in your career, remember, it's okay to be brave, not perfect. Perfect.